Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show this week. And, and this week, we are here talking with Lori Guest from theloriguest.com, Angela Gaffney from angelagaffney.com, and Michelle May from amihungry.com. I love that. And you can learn all about all three of these incredible individuals by going to everydaymindfulnessshow.com, or we'll have the show notes, and we'll have links to those websites, and we'll have a little bio on each of them. But right now, we want to get right into the show. And Lori, I'd like to start with you, because this show was inspired by you and in your journey. So I'd like you to start, if you if we can, by telling us your journey and what did inspire to say, hey, Mike, can we talk about this? Well, I love these two women, so I thought that you needed to meet them, and I feel that mindful eating is has made such an impact in my life. So short version is I've battled a weight problem my entire life, and I have tried everything you can imagine to try to get that under control. You name it, I've tried it. And then a few years ago, I happened to have the luck of sitting next to Dr. Michelle May, who is on the show today. And she has a wonderful book, which I'm sure you're going to ask her about, Eat What You Love and Love What You Eat. And as soon as I heard about the book, I'm kind of laughing because I'm thinking, oh, I love to eat, but I bet I'm not supposed to have all the stuff I eat. And so uh, I happened to sit next to her and she really opened my eyes just in a short conversation about how I could look at food differently. And next Thing, you know, I had the book in hand and started doing the things that she teaches. So that's how I first got started. And then last year, I met Angela Gaffney, and she actually became my healthy living coach for about six to seven months, and I would meet with her by Skype um, every two weeks, and she helped teach me a new way of thinking, and both of these two, I think, have a solid thing in common. Their principles are really strong, but it all has to do with mindful eating, and I thought when uh, we got started on your show, I know you are very interested in a healthy lifestyle, and I just felt that all of you guys should meet, and I definitely wanted your listeners to be exposed to the wonderful work of these two professionals. And so here I am, a year after meeting Angela, I am almost 50 pounds lighter than I was before. So I'm excited about that. But more than the 50 pounds, I feel so good. My skin looks good. And my brain is so clear, Mike, that is the best thing of all, is that I am just razor sharp, clear in my head. And the people who are around me a lot, they recognize it. They can see it. I just want everybody to feel like I feel right now. So that's why I invited them. I love it. And so Angela and Michelle, how would you describe mindful eating? What does that mean to you? 
Well, this is Michelle. I I really feel like mindful eating can be boiled down to two very simple concepts. Eating with intention and attention. Purpose and awareness, right? So for many people, as as Lori so well described, we're eating mindlessly, we're eating for emotional reasons, we're eating on autopilot. We don't even notice what we're doing until we notice that we don't feel good. So simply bringing awareness as a first step and then really using that mindfulness, using that awareness to take us down the path that we actually want to go makes a huge difference for people. Unlike rigid dieting and restriction and telling us what foods are bad and and good, which ultimately leads to, I call it the eat, repent, repeat cycle, right? You know, (laughs) that for many people, not effective long term. What do you think, Angela? Well, you and I, I think uh, we've met too, Michelle, and I love your principles. We align on a lot because life is not fun when there's restriction and guilt and deprivation when trying to get healthy. But mindful living, from my perspective, it also includes understanding what the food could do for your body because one of the basic principles I teach is that we have to care for what I call our number one fan, which is our body. It's the one thing that shows up for us every day and really build awareness, as Michelle was saying, about how our choices are serving us both at the table and in life. And when you understand what the food can do for you and how it can help you fuel through your productivity and have brain clarity, reduce joint pain, all these beautiful things, all of a sudden, the, the rewards that you get from the food that you're eating and how you understand how it serves you drives you and mo- moves you forward to continue those same patterns over and over and over again. And then it becomes just part of your natural way of living. And it's like second nature. So why do you think people struggle with this? Why, why isn't the concept of mindful eating easier? Or maybe it is then why aren't people getting the information or hearing about it to make it simpler on them? Like you said, that fight to restrict. I remember reading in a book in the past couple of years, this idea that, you know, every other animal in the kingdom eats for fueling and we eat for pleasure and should be eating for fueling. And so what is the struggle for us as humans with this, with the idea of food and how we view it and how we treat it? Well, I think one of the things that's ironic about this is, as you said, Mike, we are, we're born with the instinctive ability to manage our eating effortlessly. We are animals in the animal kingdom, and we have this ability. But from the time we're very young, we can begin to unlearn this, this process. So we learn it when our parents feed us to keep us entertained or to reward us. We learn it when we're rushed through a meal to get out on the playground or get to a class. We end up unlearning the process of enjoying our food because of so many other things that are going on at the time that we're eating. And I think a hidden problem that many people are not consciously aware of is the fact that we have so many rigid rules and restriction about eating that that can really drive people to feeling guilty. And so I really describe that as kind of the, well, you, we always hear the phrase yo-yo dieting. So that's a pretty good metaphor because a yo-yo doesn't stop in the middle. You're either on your way to being good or you're on your way to being bad. I mean, one way or the other, you know, you're, you're either feeling guilty or you're, or you're planning for your next binge. And so 
I like to change the entire model and have people start thinking about a pendulum instead, where there's really this smaller arc that we can begin to find, and that's what mindfulness does for us, both in our lives and with our eating, is to begin to find a more balanced way of thinking about food, because it should be pleasurable. It shouldn't just be fuel. It definitely should be pleasurable. But if that's our main or only source of pleasure, then that's going to create problems for us. And how do people know what is healthy nowadays? You know, to, for them to say, okay, I'm going to be mindful of why I'm making this choice and how this choice can impact my body, how it's going to fuel me, and whether I enjoy this or not. If it's too restrictive, I'm going to probably give up on this after a while. But a lot of people would say, okay, that's a whole discussion over here. And then on the other side, we have this other discussion of, What's the right foods to eat nowadays? There's so many different what we call quote-unquote diets. How do you know what is the right path for mindful eating? Well, you know, Mike, that was the biggest, yeah, that was the biggest shock for me is that what I thought I'd been doing right uh, by by eating better, when I, when I met up with Angela, I found out that a lot of the things I was choosing to do were working against me. And so I think that is so critical. And you're absolutely right. One side is the mindful moving my elbow from, you know, plate to my mouth. But this other side is whatever I'm putting in there, is it the right thing for me? So I can't wait to hear what Angela has to say about that because she really helped me through that, as did Michelle. But I know, Angela, you've got specific things on that. Well, one of the things, Mike, that I thought think is funny is, we have over a thousand diet books, they say, that come out every single year. And so from my perspective, it's like finding a needle in the haystack to find the one exact diet book that can serve you correctly when you have all these different theories out there. And what I love about the work that Michelle does and the work that I do is that these are we're teaching people basic principles and foundational habits to have so that you can feel good for the for your life. It's not just for this 30-day cleanse period or focusing on a seven-day you know, diet or whatever these things are. You have to move beyond these short-term goals that might be an okay launching pad, but they're, they often neglect giving people the tools to have this be sustainable and maintained for life. And there's a lot of conflicting information out there. And one thing might work for one, but it's, it's very rare that one thing will work for all. And so if you can go back to whole food nutrition, how it treats the body, and build basic principles and a foundation, a solid foundation, that's when people can succeed. And Michelle does this work, I do this work, and it, and it works. People are benefiting from it. So where do they find that that guideline, right? To go back to that organic, natural, like you said, whole food approach, where do they find the specific guidelines so that they can cater it to themselves, tailor it to themselves? As you said, it's not the same for everybody. So how much is too much? Uh, you know, that, that kind of concept. What's not enough? I know that I've made this mistake in the past of that when I'm working out, sometimes not eating enough, and that can be just as harmful as somebody eating too much uh, when you're burning all that energy and you're working your muscles. So where do you find the information that gives you the right balance? Because you said there's a million resources out there giving dinner advice. Where are the ones that you trust the most? That's right. I'm kind of chuckling, Mike, because you're putting a little silver platter out for Michelle and myself because we both have amazing books that focus on this. Michelle can go through. She's got an incredible series. My book is called Feel Good, Look Good for Life. And those are resources that people can reach out to to start 
the conversation. And then working with a professional to help tweak for your own body system, I think, is very valuable for people. It can be hard sometimes to navigate it all on your own and try to figure out how to tweak and make it right just for you with these basic principles. What are your thoughts, Michelle? Well, no, I, I, I mean, I agree, obviously. <laughs> I think we've got great resources. <laughs> I think, you know, that, that it's one of the things that's interesting about this and that I was really attracted to your show, Mike, is the, is the focus on mindfulness. And I think that, you know, we can talk a lot about what to eat or what not to eat or how much to eat. But one of the things that mindfulness really brings to the table is that it gives us an internalized process for decision making in our abundant food environment and in this environment where we're constantly faced with choices to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, as well as a lot of conflicting messages as Angela was talking about. And so ultimately with mindfulness, what we can do is become, well, let's step back a second. So your audience is obviously well aware that a simple definition of mindfulness is awareness of the present moment without judgment. So that's very powerful because the present moment is the only moment where you can actually make decisions. It is the only moment that you have that, you, that allows you to, to make a choice that will affect you in your future. So much of what's out on the internet and so many other books, they're really promoting this, okay, here's your list of foods you can and can't eat. Here's, here's what you should and shouldn't do. And of course, that's the paradigm that, that we often try to approach this question from. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you're sitting in a meeting and someone lays a platter of donuts on the credenza behind you, those donuts may be whispering to you the entire time. You're, I, maybe it's just me. I don't know. But, you know, you can hear them. It literally yeah. just happened at a training I was at. They, they brought in these amazing donuts and put them in the back of the room for everybody. I'm like, okay. And I'm the one running the event here. So don't be tempted. <laughs> uh, so, so I, yeah, I wanted to get to that because like for me, it's, it's, it is sweets and sugars that can be my weakness. I go into the movie theater. There's Junior Mints, right? And <laughs> so you go, I know because I am mindful. I know that is not an ideal choice. And yet I will still make what's not an ideal choice at times or of switch to a will. different ideal choice. So how do we help ourselves make that choice easier for our well-being and our health? Because yeah, I agree with you. I know the answer is, well, if you just have the Junior Mints, no harm done. But we all know what happens when you get a little sugar, right? You have the Junior Mints, you leave the movie, you go home, and now you want some more sweets, right? Because it's the end of the night. So how do you manage that, that sugar rush that can happen or that sugar drive that you can feel like is going inside you? Oh, I'm so jumping in on this one. And Angela, with your permission, can I tell them the golden sentence that you taught me? Is it okay to share it? Sure. It is. This is how I do it. And, and I learned it from these guys. I will ask myself, if I eat the junior mints, what does this provide me? And I ask myself that every single time I want to have something that I would consider not the best choice, what does this provide me? And sometimes the answer is, I'm going to have it and enjoy it. To me, that's a mindful choice because otherwise it tips into deprivation and then I'm going to be back to yo-yo dieting and the cycle, that repent and repeat cycle that Michelle talks about. And I have found that when I pick it up, whatever that item is, for me, it'd be the tub of popcorn, not the junior mints. I would, I would say to myself, what does this bucket provide? Well, really absolutely nothing. 
I, at this moment in time, like Michelle was just talking about, I don't need that bucket of popcorn. We just went out for dinner. Why do I need to chase it with popcorn? And making that same choice over and over again after asking myself the question is what made this easier. Rather than being on plan, off plan, cheating, not cheating, all that kind of stuff, it's just that same question every time. What does this provide me? And to and to your point, Lori, pleasure is a legitimate need that we all have, and food is a very simple and unfortunately all too available form of pleasure where other things may take a little more work. And so the, the beauty of what you just said is that if you were to decide, well, I am going to have the popcorn or I am going to have the junior mints, and you know that your reason for doing it is pleasure, then you can do it in a way that actually gives you pleasure. Because oftentimes people feel guilty about choosing the junior mints or they're distracted and they, they eat the tub of popcorn without noticing. So now they've consumed food whose main purpose was pleasure and they didn't get pleasure from it. So mm -hmm. being aware of what you're doing. And I'll add to that, I'll add to that question that, that you shared that Angela taught you that's so great. The question I like to ask is, how am I going to feel afterward? Or how do I want to feel afterward? And again, this is not a question to say, don't eat the sugar. It is just a conscious choice because to your point, Mike, a box of Junior Mints may not be a problem, but a box of Junior Mints chased with a cake when you get home is definitely going to leave you feeling worse. And I, you know, I have found that question has is, is been helpful for me, which is, what is this going to do down the road or even tomorrow? So if I have a workout coming up tomorrow and I'm trying to hit goals in that workout, uh, the day before, if I'm in a movie theater, I will say to myself, how's this going to, how's this going to impact that workout tomorrow? And mm -hmm. that puts it in a whole nother place. And what happens is I don't think a lot of people think about that question in regards to their energy at work or their, if I, for instance, I'm a speaker. So my energy on stage, what's this going to do to my energy on stage for the next 48 hours? What's this going to do to how vibrant I am at home with my kids if I have a sugar crash? You know, how is this going to impact? I do. I find that extremely helpful. Now, for the people out there going, all right, but I, I always seem to end of day, and there are going to be two different examples here. I either have the salt craving or I have the sugar craving. What can be causing that prior? What could, what could they have done earlier in the day that helps them avoid the body having that late in the evening? One of the things that we have to do is when we think about changing our diet, you can really get over your sugar cravings naturally over time just by changing how you feed your body the macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, and fat. I'll give you a prime example. I talked to a client this week. She went with a specific diet plan for years that did not allow her to have uh, grains, whole grains. And she has energy crisis all the time. And I talked to her about it. We decided to implement some whole grains into her diet. This same person who hadn't had whole grains for a few years would binge on sugar, high sugar content foods, Pop-Tarts, Swiss cake rolls, candy bars, you name it. She had this sugar fix and it was really hard. She would binge very often. But once we've got some of the whole foods that contain phytonutrients to help fight disease in the body, that contain the vitamins and minerals your body needs, and better balancing the good, healthy, complex carbohydrate load along with protein and fat. She said this week she has never felt this energetic in her life. And guess what? In the last few weeks, she hasn't had as many sugar cravings either, and none at all in the last two weeks. 
since implementing and changing up her balance of macronutrients. So sometimes it really is just trying to put other whole food nourishment into your body to balance your intake so that naturally your body's getting the sugar it needs. And it happens time and time again, and I know Michelle sees it too, where people's cravings will naturally go away. And then when you are at the movie theater and you're thinking, you know what, I haven't had those junior mints in quite a while. I think I'm going to share a pack with my wife or kids or whoever. You're, you're doing it without guilt. You've made conscious choices. You know how the food's serving your body. You feel great as a result. And you're assessing and you're aware. And that's what makes it work. What would be an example of whole grains? Because a lot of people hear whole grain and they just think whole grain bread. <laughs> and so yes. what are what are some examples from great whole grains? Brown rice, quinoa, teff, millet, buckwheat, groats or steel cut oats are great as well. If you have a gluten, gluten sensitivity or allergy, you want to stick with the quinoa, brown rice, teff are all good options, buckwheat as well. All right, wonderful. So Michelle, we will slide, slide to you for what if it's the salts that they're craving at the end of the day? I'm sitting here kind of ambivalent about this discussion because this is this has kind of gone in the direction where these discussions often go. And I wanna I wanna steer it a little bit different for just a moment before we get into the intricacies. So I think that we miss a fundamental principle when we start talking about what to eat too fast. And for one thing, I think oftentimes we have forgotten our instinctive ability to know when we need to eat. And that's the question that is often missed. So, you know, Angela is making excellent points about nutrition and the, and the value that balance brings. But in the work that I do, the biggest thing that people misunderstand is why they're eating in the first place. Lori alluded to that earlier as well. So one of the simplest things I help people do is begin to notice in the, again, in the present moment, whenever they feel like eating, am I actually hungry? Just simply pausing to do a body, mind, heart scan, checking in to notice whether their body actually needs fuel in that moment. Because one of the things that people often will find is that the cravings that they have for sugar or salt or comfort foods or other things are not being driven by their need for fuel at all, but are being driven by the need for comfort or pleasure or a break or distraction. And so by first paying attention to what is actually triggering the, the craving or the desire to eat, you can actually make a, a choice that will serve you well. And sometimes it's not, oh, I'm going to eat a low salt food instead or a substitute food. It's I don't actually need food. What I really need right now is to get up from my desk for 10 minutes and, and take a break and, you know, go down to the break room and get a glass of water and take, you know, visit with people, you know, whatever, some, some kind of connection. Does that make sense, Mike? Absolutely. I remember someone telling me that if you think you have one of those cravings, go for a 10-minute, 15-minute walk and come back and see if you still have it. That is a difference maker. Now, the one question I have on that, though, is breakfast the exception? Because you can get up in the morning and be rocking through your work for four hours and not realize you haven't ate. 
And so when I say the exception, if somebody thinks, and I don't think you meant it this way, but if somebody's thinking, hey, I won't eat until I have a true hunger, they might be skipping meals also at the same time if they misinterpret that, which I don't think is what you meant. But I could see somebody saying that. No, oh, that's not- a great. Oh, bre- breakfast is a great is a great example of how what I just said actually works. Because here, here's one of the things I'll often say when I'm speaking to an audience about this is I'll say, so you know, breakfast is, and they'll say the most important meal of the day, and I'll say, and it is unless you've been eating all night and then it's not that important. You know, so it kind of gets to the issue that some people are not hungry in the morning because they've been eating or eating late at night. Some people are not hungry in the morning because they're slamming down coffee, you know, rushing a, a million miles an hour. They hit the computer or the office before they even pause to check in with their body to notice hunger. So to your point, no, I don't think we should be skipping breakfast. It's a setup for binging. I'm sure Angela works with her clients on that all the time. It's definitely a setup for overeating later. But again, it's not so much about, okay, automatically eat breakfast, but what is my natural pattern? When, wh- how long after my feet hit the floor am I ready for a meal? And is there a reason that I'm not noticing hunger until I'm ravished, you know, I'm just famished? I love it. So what would be the two biggest mistakes you think people make? And what are the two biggest differences, steps people can make for that transformation in mindful eating? We'll go to both of you. So Angela, we'll go with you first and we'll go Michelle. I would think number one, we take our body for granted. It's this vessel that's just there to perform for us no matter what. And that's what I realized and was greatly mistaken about. If I don't know if you read anything, uh, Mike, or watched my video, but I had a health crisis of my own, and it wasn't until after that that I started realizing, man, you've got to take care of this body of yours and support it just as much as it supports you. Because if you're neglecting it, if you're running through life with just what's convenient, something over time is going to break down. So I think really, really tuning in to how much the body does for you or for us and then acting accordingly. And then the other part is just the awareness that it takes. We have to have awareness about what we're choosing to eat, when we're choosing to eat it, and we also have to have mindfulness and awareness when we're at the table to slow down, put your, put your fork down in between bites, and really understand what that food does for you in a positive way or in maybe a negative way. If you plow through the junior mints and a whole bucket of popcorn at the movie theater, like you talked about before, it's really asking yourself, what did this provide me? Or proactively asking yourself, what is it going to provide me? Or how will it serve me to eat this food? And once you're more aware, you'll find that you'll make conscious choices and be able to do well for yourself. And then the two biggest, did you ask what differences we could make yes, for correct. health? Yep. And you gave one of them right there, right? Was Which is to be have that awareness. Yeah, because I think the mistake there is just we run through life at a very fast pace. The demands are high. We're managing a lot in life and in work. And it's really slowing down. So the differences from my perspective, Lori brought up that question. It's a, it's a key Uh, indicator of you pausing and taking time to build that awareness and make conscious choices. 
And I think the other differentiator, Mike, when it comes to mindfulness is very much being conscious about if I choose to eat this and I know that it might not serve me well from a physical standpoint or whatever it may be, but I want to celebrate and enjoy these three pieces of or bites of cake or whatever it might be, then do it mindfully. Make the choice to engage in that manner and don't look back. Don't have guilt about, oh, I shouldn't have done this. I was so bad I did this. Get the words good and bad out of the diet. We're all great people. We all make some poor choices, but we have the opportunity to learn from them, readdress, and make a different choice the next time around. So be present and mindful with every choice you make, and it will make a big difference. And ask yourself, what will this provide me? Awesome. Michelle? Well, first of all, I think those are awesome. Those were really good. And I and I think that that kind of points to the bigger picture here about really what is your intention for how you want to feel. I think the biggest mistake that people make by far is trusting that some expert knows more than they do about their own bodies. Most of the people I work with, and, and Lori shared this, this was certainly my personal story, and even though I was a family physician, this is actually how I got into this work, is I had jumped from one diet to the next to the next, and yo-yo dieted for years, and I think it really came from this belief that I was out of control and that I, that I just needed somebody to tell me what to do. Ultimately, I realized that it's not about being in control. It's about being in charge. And that's what Angela was touching on a moment ago. It's really about being consciously aware of all of my options and then choosing what's best for me in that particular moment. It's not about being good. It's about feeling good. And that requires me to be present and aware and making choices for myself, not because some expert told me that I should or shouldn't eat a particular thing or a certain amount of a certain thing. And then I think the second the second mistake that I want to talk about, primarily because we haven't touched on this much, and that is, I think a lot of people use exercise as punishment for eating. You already mentioned a couple times, Mike, that you love to work out, you love to, you know, do these, the, be physically active, um, as do I. However, people who use exercise to earn the right to eat or punish themselves for eating or for making uh, air quote bad choice, as Angela was referring to, ultimately don't love exercise. They do it because they have to, not because they get to. And so it's always a struggle to get their butt out of bed to do it because it's punishment. <laughs> Absolutely. I know people that say it all the time. I, after what I ate yesterday, I got to get to the gym You know, versus, well, why wouldn't oh. you want to go to the gym every day? You know, that kind of, or, or whatever the, your three days of the week is. So I totally understand that. Yes. Yes. And, and finding something that you really love to do. For me, the gym is not, is not a nurturing, fun place to be, but I hike three, four times a week, go to yoga three, four times a week because I get to, not because I have to. Awesome. So what would be the two big different big steps people you think can make for their process of stepping forward in mindful eating? So one I mentioned is instead of thinking all the time about what you should be eating, I would suggest that people first start whenever you notice you feel like eating, just pause and ask, am I actually hungry? That is, it's not, it's not asking the question to decide whether you're allowed to eat, but it's asking the question to notice why you want to. 
you're tuning in to notice whether your body's needing fuel at that moment or if there is possibly some other trigger that's going on. And the follow-up piece here is that ultimately mindful eating is not about the food. It is about eating in a way that fuels your big vibrant life. And sometimes that means noticing that you want to eat for reasons other than fuel and figuring out how you can meet those needs instead. Because ultimately, I want people to figure out how to tell the difference between the need to eat food and the need to take a break or or take a walk or have a conversation that's been bugging them. You know, whatever it is, meet your true needs so that food doesn't have to. I want to thank all three of you. Lori, thank you for bringing Angela Michelle to us and creating awareness for all of us to learn from them. So thank you very much for that. For everybody listening, I want you to be able to find these three wonderful individuals. That's Lori Guests from the LoriGuest.com. Sounds just like it, it spells just like it sounds, Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, Guest.com. Uh, Angela Gaffney, two Fs, just like it sounds, AmIHungry.com for Michelle May. Three great resources, which these are all on our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com along with freebies we have available. So until next time, for everyone out there, may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life. Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show would you please go into itunes and write a review doing so helps spread the mission of the show thanks we appreciate you being a part of our vibrant oftentimes silly and always vulnerable community if you have an idea a thought want to sponsor the show or just want to say hi send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week.